0: The text for this morning's sermon is Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, today we celebrate Pentecost, the outpouring of the Spirit. Fifty days after Christ's resurrection, ten days after going up into heaven, the Lord Jesus poured out the Spirit on his church. It was an earth-changing event. With the outpouring of the Spirit, we've moved into the last days. The effects of the Spirit's coming were obvious in the early church. Through his mighty work in their hearts, thousands of people were convicted of their sins. They repented. They believed in the Lord Jesus Christ. Daily the church grew, both in number and in faith. But how about today? Does the Spirit still work today? What effect does the outpouring of the Spirit have on our lives? Does He change our lives? How we think? what we feel, the way in which we live? Why then do you sometimes get so anxious and worried in your life? Why do you get upset when things don't go your way in life? Is your discontent a fruit to the Spirit of God? Brothers and sisters, how well do you get along with others around you? And how do you treat the people that you disagree with? Are there people to whom you struggle to even say a cheerful hello? Are your anger, resentment, bitterness, your inability to forgive a fruit of the Spirit of God? And what's your character like? Would others describe you as easy to get along with? Or are there aspects of your personality that really rub others the wrong way? Is your lack of self-discipline or self-control a fruit of the Spirit of God? In a reading from Galatians 5, Paul encourages us to walk by the Spirit and not to gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul makes it sound so easy. He says in Galatians 5.24 that those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Yet in our lives we so often see the opposite. While our flesh with its passions and desires has been nailed to the cross, it's still putting up a tremendous fight to stay alive. The works of the flesh can dominate our lives so strongly. At times we see so little of the fruit of the Spirit in us. It makes us feel ashamed. It can even cause us to despair. For we know that Paul said that those who do the works of the flesh shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Pentecost reminds us of our great riches. Jesus Christ has sent the Spirit to live in our hearts. It's a promise that's been made to each one of us at our baptism We'll hear that promise reaffirmed at the baptism of Brindley Wienendahl this morning. We are partakers of Christ's anointing. We share in all his treasures and gifts. We have received so much. But now we're also called to render much. God calls us to bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. I preach to you God's word under the following theme. God has granted us his Holy Spirit so that we may bring forth the fruit of the Spirit. We'll see the source of the fruit, the variety of the fruit, and the purpose of the fruit. In Galatians 5, Paul addresses an important question. How do we overcome the desires of our sinful flesh? We know that by nature our hearts are evil. That were slaves to sin. Genesis 6 5 says that the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Jeremiah 17, verse 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. How do we as Christians fight against the desires of our sinful flesh? Paul acknowledges that the problem is real. He speaks of how the desires of our sinful flesh are manifest in actions. He commands us not to fulfill the lust of the flesh. Paul writes, Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, Orgies, and things like these. One who is a Christian needs to put off such works. But how do we do so? The preachers that were visiting in Galatia taught the congregation one way of combating the works of the flesh. They emphasized the importance of the law of Moses. They said the way to avoid such sinful works was to do good works. Their basic message was that it was by keeping the law that the congregation would be saved. Yes, Jesus Christ was important, but in addition to him, you also needed to keep the law. You especially needed to be circumcised. These false teachers stress salvation is not by faith alone, but also by doing the works of the law. In response Paul encourages the Galatians to stand fast in the freedom Christ has earned for them. He said that if they tried to be justified by the law, they had fallen from grace. Good works are not a means by which we can attain salvation. Paul writes, "For you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love" Serve one another. He stresses that the entire law is summed up in a single command You shall love your neighbor as yourself. He commanded the Galatians, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Paul agrees that those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ need to show forth the results of this in their lives. In Galatians 5, Paul contrasts the works of the flesh with the fruit of the Spirit. In our text, the focus is on this fruit. Paul lists different virtues or attributes or qualities that mark a God-fearing life. But he doesn't call them the marks of the Christian or the characteristics of a Spirit-led life. Paul calls them fruit. And that's significant. The Bible speaks more often about fruit. It uses the image of fruit to represent what's good, what is desirable. When Genesis mentions the wonders of the Garden of Eden, it mentions every kind of fruit tree. When the spies went forth into the land of Canaan, they brought back the fruit of the land to indicate what a marvelous place it was. When Revelation Paints a picture of the new creation in all of its glory. It speaks about the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. Fruit is a picture of what is good, what's wholesome, what's desirable. Work is the result of effort being put forth. A machine in a factory works. It puts out a product. But you cannot manufacture fruit. Fruit is the natural result of proper growth. When a farmer plants a crop, he expects it to bear fruit. When Jesus came upon the fig tree, he expected it to be bearing figs. Fruit bearing is the natural result of proper growth. That also applies spiritually. Spiritually. Psalm 1 compares the believer with a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. In Matthew 7 17, Christ made it clear that every good tree bears good fruit. In John 15, Jesus told his disciples, I am the vine and you are the branches. He said, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Christ said in verse 16, You did not choose me, but I chose you and I appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. The point is that as children of God, we are expected to bear fruit. And why is that expected? Because we've been given the Holy Spirit to live in us. At Pentecost, the Spirit of God was poured out on the church. The baptism of the Holy Spirit took place. It's good to be reminded that the Spirit of God is the Spirit of life. At our baptism, the Holy Spirit assured us, He will dwell in us. He imparts to us what we have in Christ, namely the cleansing of our sins and the daily renewal of our lives. The Spirit is the source of new life in us. He is the one who produces fruit in each of our lives. Growth and fruit-bearing are totally dependent on God's work. You can dig, you can plant and sow. You can graft and prune and weed all you like. But if God does not give rain and sunshine and growth all your effort will be wasted. Somehow in the final analysis, it all depends on God to produce the fruit. And that's why Paul speaks of the virtues listed in our text as fruit of the Spirit. He recognizes that we are a sinful and rebellious people, that by nature we're inclined to all evil. We cannot produce the fruit of the Spirit in ourselves by our own effort. That means, beloved, that when we see evidence of love in our lives, or gentleness, or self-control, it's no cause for self-congratulation. It's not our work. It's the work of the Spirit of God in us. It means that we struggle to show forth joy, or patience, or kindness in our lives, There's no cause for self-condemnation. Instead, we get down on our knees. We pray to God to work in us by the Spirit. And we do so confidently knowing our Heavenly Father has promised to give His Spirit to those who ask Him. The Holy Spirit is the source of life in us. When we bear fruit in our lives, the praise and the glory go to God. It's God's work in us that produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Yet this does not mean that we are freed of any human responsibility. Just imagine that in your opinion, gardening and plants and flowers and fruit bearing were completely God's responsibility. So you never bother digging your garden or weeding or mowing your lawn. Your fruit trees are never pruned or sprayed. The result would be that weeds would overtake your garden, your lawn would become a jungle, your fruit production would decrease dramatically as time went on. Beloved, you cannot indulge in the acts of the sinful flesh mentioned in Galatians 5, 19-21, and then still expect the Spirit to produce the fruit of His work in your life. In Galatians 6, Paul says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You see, there's a principle at work in the plant kingdom. If you want a harvest of carrots, you've got to plant carrot seed. You can't sow cabbage and expect to reap a crop of potatoes. You always reap what you sow. That also applies spiritually. If the Holy Spirit is to produce good fruit in your life, you must plant good seed. There's an old proverb that puts it so nicely. Sow a thought and you reap an act. Sow an act and you reap a habit. Sow a habit and you reap a character. Sow a character and you reap a destiny. In spiritual things, what we sow has to do with our lifestyle. It has to do with what kind of friendships you develop, young people. With the type of music that you listen to and the kind of videos that you watch. With where you go and what you do on Friday or Saturday night. God is not mocked. You will reap exactly what you sow. The fruit of the Spirit is produced in those who plant good seed. It's produced in those who hear God's word, in those who seek to submit to God with an obedient life, in those whose lives are focused on showing forth love to their neighbor. In our first point, we've seen the source of the fruit of the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit that produces fruit in our lives. In our second point, we'll see the variety of the fruit of the Spirit. It's noteworthy that in our text, the Apostle Paul speaks of the fruit of the Spirit. We should not confuse this with the gifts of the Spirit that are mentioned. For example, in 1 Corinthians 12, when we read about the gifts of the Spirit, the the Bible makes it plain that not all believers have the same gifts. In 1 Corinthians 12, Paul mentions some specific gifts, wisdom, wisdom. Knowledge, faith, the gift of healing, miraculous powers, prophecy, distinguishing between spirits, speaking in tongues, the interpretation of tongues. He says that to one this gift is given and to another that gift is given. Paul mentions that there are a diversity of gifts. He says all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. We see individual gifts are given to different believers. They're all called to use their gifts for the profit of all. This is different with the fruit of the Spirit. It is given and it is required of all believers. We do not have the same spiritual gifts, but the Lord always requires from His people the same fruit the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Not just a few of the virtues mentioned in this list, but all of them. Please note, our text does not speak about the fruits of the Spirit in the plural, but of the fruit of the Spirit in the singular. Those who are led by the Spirit of Christ... Will show forth this fruit in their lives. In our sermon this morning, we will not spend a lot of time discussing the variety of the fruit mentioned in our text. You could have an individual sermon on each of the virtues listed. What I would like to draw your attention to is that the fruit mentioned in our text is listed in a particular way. Fruit tends to grow in clusters. Our text mentions nine virtues, which many commentators have divided into three clusters of three. Such a grouping is relevant for a better understanding of our text. Our text first speaks of love, joy, and peace. This is the fruit that's evident in our lives when our relationship with God is right. If we live our lives in communion with God, then our hearts are filled with love for him. Love for his grace in sending his son to die for us on the cross. Joy that we belong to Jesus Christ. That he has bought us with his precious blood and made us his own possession. Peace with God. Understanding we've been justified by grace. That the dividing wall of separation between God and us has been broken down by our mediator. Jesus Christ." Our text goes on to speak about patience, kindness, and goodness. It's the opposite of hatred, contentions, and outbursts of wrath. This fruit is evident when our relationship with our neighbor is right. If we're living in communion with our neighbor then we're patient with him when he makes a mistake. Instead of lashing out or seeking blood, We have within us a spirit of forgiveness. We're willing to endure even when others have hurt us. We're kind. We do good even to those who have wronged us. We show forth grace to others in the same way that God first showed forth his grace to us. Our text concludes its list of virtues by mentioning faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This fruit refers to the work of the Spirit in our personal life, to the deep transformation of our character. Faithfulness is being true to God, submitting your will to His, doing what He teaches you in His Word. Gentleness is better translated as meekness, having a humble spirit, not insisting on your own rights. Self-control is the power to keep yourself in check, not to give in to the desires of the flesh. These clusters of fruit show that the Spirit is active in all our relationships. Our relationship with God, our relationship with our neighbor, and the Spirit's work even within ourselves. Beloved, is your relationship with God right How does it show in your life that you love him? Are you indeed a joyful Christian? Do you experience in your life the peace that surpasses all understanding? How are you doing in your relationships with those around you? Are you patient with your husband or wife? With your parents or children? Or do you easily fly off the handle? Do you show forth goodness and kindness to brothers and sisters in the community? Or do you leave in your wake a series of broken relationships? Are you disciplined in your personal life? Or do you lack self-control? Brothers and sisters, if we're willing to examine ourselves carefully, each of us will find many weaknesses and shortcomings. At times, it seems like the works of the flesh dominate in our lives. But if you are a child of God, then the fruit of the Spirit should be evident in your life. It may be immature fruit, it may be hard and green, but it should be there. In all the variety mentioned in our text, we need to take seriously the warnings contained in Scripture. In John 15, Jesus said that every branch that does not bear fruit is taken away. He said that these branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. We must bring forth much fruit. For it's in this way that the Father is glorified. This so brings us to our final point, the purpose of the fruit. The Holy Spirit has been poured out on the church. The reason he has come to dwell in our hearts is to cause us to grow and develop as children of God. He patiently seeks fruit in our lives. It's important to note that Paul speaks about the virtues listed in our text as fruit. Fruit doesn't just suddenly appear on a tree. It's a process involved. A process that involves growth. You don't just come outside one day and find a juicy ripe apple on a tree that wasn't there yesterday. That involves a long process. First, a tree needs to be planted. It needs to sink its roots in the ground. Then one spring, buds and blossoms will appear. The bees need to come and pollinate the flowers. Soon afterwards, tiny fruit appears. and It takes many weeks of sunshine and rain before those little apples mature into ripe and juicy fruit spiritual growth takes time those tiny little apples that appear in spring are fruit though they're very small though they haven't fully developed they are fruit and so it is in our lives as christians we need time to mature basking in the warmth of god's love Nurtured by the food of God's word. Even though our joy may not be full. Even though our peace is often broken. Does not mean that the fruit of the spirit is absent in our life. We may not not always be patient or exercise self-control. Our fruit is often hard and green. Often a long way from maturity. And yet the Holy Spirit continues his work in the children of God. He develops in us a new nature, a new person, a Christian character, the mind of Christ. You know how we grow into fruitful trees? The Bible gives us some pointers. Psalm 1 and Jeremiah 17 teach us we need to trust in the Lord and to delight in His word. Those who do so are like a tree planted by the waters, which spread out its root by the river, which bears fruit abundantly. In John 15, Christ tells us we need to abide in him. Jesus Christ must be central in our lives. It's when we're rooted in Christ and in his word that the Holy Spirit produces fruit in our lives by which the Father is glorified. Further, beloved, we should not be discouraged when we face hardships and trouble in our lives. In John 15, Christ makes it clear that every good tree that bears fruit needs to be pruned so it may bear more fruit. A pruned tree looks pitiful, cut back naked. Pruning is a painful process. But if you don't prune the vine, it becomes unfruitful. In Hebrews 12, we're told the Lord disciplines those whom he loves. COVID-19, spiritual distress, all kinds of other hardships may be the means that God is working in our lives to draw, to draw us closer to him. Often they're God's way of pruning us so that we may bear more fruit. Beloved, it's especially in situations of hardship, in times of trouble, that a person's true character is revealed. When Job lost everything he had, his wife's response was, Curse God and die. But Job said, The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. When others hurt us or wrong us, our response is often to lash out at them. Yet when Stephen was stoned, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When you, dear brother, dear sister, are faced with difficult situations in your life, how do you respond? Are the works of the flesh manifest then? Or do you show forth the fruit of the Spirit? Beloved, we should not think too lightly of the boundless mercy of our God, He will not quench the flickering flame or break the bruised rod. God's great love for us is made clear in that He was willing to give up His dearly loved Son to save us from our sins. Don't underestimate the power of the Spirit of your life. Don't give up, no matter how hard you have fallen. Flee to your Savior Jesus Christ. Seek your strength in the promises of His Word. Pray for the fruit of the Spirit in your life. For as it says so beautifully in Psalm 138, God will complete the work he has begun in us. God shall fulfill his plan for me, his promise he will keep forever. Lord God of grace, do not cast off your works of love, forsake them never. Our text concludes with one final short line. After listening to the fruit of the Spirit, it says, Against such there is no law. Paul has made it clear we cannot be saved by doing the works of the law. That salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone. It's in Jesus Christ that we are set free from the law's condemnation. Christ has redeemed us body and soul from all our sins. He has set us free. From the power of the devil. But now we need to be careful how we use our freedom. Christ has not set us free so that we will indulge the lusts of the flesh. He has set us free so that we will bring forth the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Do you see how important Pentecost was and the daily effect it has in our lives? We are partakers of Christ's anointing. We share in all his treasures and gifts. The Spirit has come to live in our hearts that we may bring forth fruit in our lives. Let's remember Jesus' words spoken in John 15, verse 8. He said, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Amen.